committed to helping you learn positive money mindsets, destroy debt, reduce financial stress, and break the paycheck-to-paycheck cycle. Today, we're chatting with financial counselor Adam Cole about money dates, getting financially intimate, and pushing past the fear of talking about money. Afterwards, Sensible Bobby gives you crash savings tips for Valentine's Day, how to plan your dream celebration, and ways to show your love by buying gifts for yourself. But first, she's going to share a news story that's really getting under her skin. So here she is, the saver of sawbucks, the deer of dough, the boss of budgeting. Here's Sensible Bobby. (laughs) Thanks, Scott. Well, since Valentine's Day is coming up fast, we're going to focus on love and money today. But since yesterday was Super Bowl, I cannot pass up this opportunity to share an article I read recently. This is from NBCSports.com. It reads, quote, It's easier than ever to attend the Super Bowl, according to a StubHub press release. It may also be easier than ever to go into debt doing it. StubHub this week announced a program that allows fans to finance ticket purchases, including Super Bowl tickets, and pay for them over a period of 3, 6, or 12 months, all at the bargain basement price of up to 30% interest. According to financial website The Balance, the average credit card interest rate as of December was 21.26%. End quote. So why, oh, why would you make this purchase at 30%? Now, I'm not condoning 21% on your credit card, but if you're going to finance these tickets, why pay an extra 9%? Oh, you don't have enough credit available for two tickets that will cost you almost $16,000. Isn't that where the conversation ends? Look, if you can't afford tickets to the Super Bowl, and many of us can't at that price, Don't go. It's as simple as that. And for those of you who would use the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity excuse, maybe your favorite team was playing and they hadn't been to the Super Bowl in 50 years, bummer. What happens if your car breaks down, you end up in the hospital, or lose your job? What if your kids want to go to college? Can you cover those costs, or will they be added to the $15,760 plus interest that you're trying to pay back after a one-day event, on top of any other debt you're carrying. If you value a trip to the Super Bowl that much, I'm not saying it's not worth the price. Everyone has big dreams that others may look at as not worth the money. That's a personal choice. But if it's that important to you, then discipline yourself to put the time and energy into saving up for it, instead of making a rash decision today that you'll pay for for a very long time. If you need help creating a savings plan, call me. And don't you dare tell me you can't afford to work with me if you're going to finance Super Bowl tickets. Okay, rant over. This episode is supposed to be about love and money, so let's change course and rant about Valentine's Day for a moment. It's supposed to be a celebration of love, right? But those stupid marketers have turned it into a destruction of your bank account if you go along with it. So if Valentine's Day is stressing you out because you can't afford it, 
stop stressing. Does your Valentine love you? Maybe you're not at the love stage yet, but if you're spending time with someone on Valentine's Day, there's some sort of interest there, and I'm betting it's not your money they like or love. It's you. So if money's tight, focus on how you can show that person you care without spending a dime. Create a special experience they'll remember, something money can't buy, something that shows you thought of them. You've got two weeks to come up with something, so start thinking about it now, because there are those who would really rather not get the flowers you bought from the person on the off-ramp of a freeway. Talk about a slap in the face. You may have spent 30 bucks, but all I see is that I was an afterthought on your way home. So, will your Valentine feel the same? How do they feel about money? Are you afraid to broach the subject? Let's chat with someone who can help break through the barriers and move the money conversation from off-limits to one of your favorite subjects to talk about. Welcome back, class. Sensible University is now in session. Today's guest professor is Adam Cole, couples financial counselor and host of the Equal Partners podcast. Adam is a certified mediator, public speaker, and former tax attorney and financial advisor. Adam, thanks so much for being our guest professor today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And thanks to Bobby for having me on. You went from being a tax attorney and financial advisor to a couple's financial counselor. How does that happen? Yeah, well, certainly a long and winding road. But I think where I first started loving working with couples and families was when I worked at Northwestern Mutual and I just saw the kind of difference it can make for couples to and families to learn about their finances, the intricacies of financial planning, and be able to get a solid plan in place. And then after that, I ended up going off to law school and then went and got a master's in tax law at NYU. And then I moved out to California. I'd always grown up on the East Coast. And while I was there, I started working as a tax lawyer. But I really also started doing a lot of community organizing and advocacy work and realized that I wanted to move more in the direction of doing something that felt closer to my heart. So along the way, I started learning how to coach. And I also worked at a nonprofit as a lawyer, working on homelessness and housing issues. And then after that job, I decided to just go for it and start a coaching business because I'd already been doing it for a couple of years and knew I had a knack for it. And just along the way, realized, you know, instead of kind of separately offering coaching on finances and relationships and communication, that I could combine those things. And there's a huge need here because money-related tension and fights are one of the top causes of divorce in this country. And uh, I had a unique skill set being a coach and also a certified mediator, as well as someone who was prior a tax attorney and a financial advisor. So to be able to bring all those together so that I can help couples in one fell swoop, get on the same page, resolve conflicts, have healthy money dialogues, and get their finances in order. Wow. So Valentine's Day has to be a great time of year for that. Um, And so it's right around the corner. And that means that there is a lot of romance in the air. But, you know, while spending money on each other on Valentine's Day is very well received, talking about it isn't so much. Why do you think that is? Yeah, well, I'm sure that all of your listeners, something popped into their head as you read that question, right? (laughs) Or as you asked that question. But It's just a difficult topic for people. You know, I I wrote a blog post recently and I like alliteration. So I wrote money mystifies many. And it it really is true. We just as a society are very uncomfortable with the topic. And then when you add in another person who we love and care about and 
you know, don't want to ruin the relationship with. Well, now you have two people who may very well be scared of talking about money and definitely scared of talking to each other about it. It just creates a lot of fear. And so uh, unfortunately, a lot of times people either don't talk about it at all at all, or when they do, it's uncomfortable and maybe they even fight. And so that leads them to avoid it more and more into the future. Which is so sad because, you know, if you could just get past the kind of taboo that's associated with it and start those conversations, you can find out a lot without any stress. I mean, you might find out that you're completely on the same page and you're done, or you might find out that the other person has different ideas, some of which might be great and some of which not so great. But if you're having those kind of conversations, it could be easy to uh, work that out. Or at least if you're early on in a relationship, you can find out whether you wanted to work on it together or not. Absolutely. And I mean, the point you're making is a really important one because most people are like, oh, I just wish I could stop fighting with my partner about money. And yes, of course, it's a great goal, but there's really so much to learn about yourself and each other through this process. And I think that's such a valuable thing in relationships, right? To continue learning about the individual introspection and then also getting to know your partner better. And because money touches all areas of our lives, it presents a great opportunity to do just that. And events like Valentine's Day can cause a lot of stress because people tend to get wrapped up in equating how much was spent with how much someone cares. So what do you say to those who want to celebrate their love on Valentine's Day, but don't have a lot of money or they're on a strict budget so they can accomplish bigger financial goals? I think the place to go is to ask what is important to you that your partner shows you on Valentine's Day or around the calendar, around the year, right? What does it mean to you if they were to spend a lot of money on you? And I remember once talking to a woman about this who was like, do you think I should keep dating this guy? Like, you know, he doesn't seem to want to spend a lot of money on me. And I asked her, well, you know, what does it mean to you if he would spend a lot of money on you? And she goes, well, I would take it to mean that he cares about me and he values seeing me and and all of that. And I said, well, okay, great. So is spending money on you the only way that he can do that? And she said, no, she was like, you know, I guess I wouldn't really care if he planned a really nice picnic or something and didn't spend much money on it because it would show that he cares. And so, you know, it's not that anybody has to agree with this particular person, but to look and say, well, what matters to me or what would it show if we went and had that expensive fancy night out on the town? And then see if there might be other ways for you to show those feelings to each other, right? And I'm pretty sure you'll come up with some options that might give you some flexibility on how much you need to budget for them. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because, you know, there's so many times when, again, I mean, people do equate that, you know, oh, it's Valentine's Day. I want to show her I care. So I'm going to go out and buy expensive, you know, jewelry or whatever. But at the same time, there's so much to be said. You know, even if you do have the money to go extravagant, there's something to be said for, and sometimes it shows extra thought to do things that don't necessarily cost money, like you were talking about, that show, you know, maybe you really thought about what that person values or really enjoys in life and a special experience or something like that, that doesn't necessarily equate to anything you bought in a store. Exactly. And I mean, just on a personal note, just before this, uh, the day we're recording this show is my younger sister's 30th birthday and she's my best friend on the whole planet. Right. And, you know, uh, instead of worrying about necessarily have to go out and spend all this money on her, I saw, had a different idea, which was she's turning 30. So I said, I'm going to write her a list of 30 times that we were best friends. And, you know, I spent the better part of a week or two just really combing through all of our memories and 
writing them out and sharing them with her. And, you know, there's always something like that available. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think those are the kind of things to me. I, I love those kind of gifts. Those stay with me a lot longer than, you know, a lot of times a, a, something that you can buy in a store certainly would. So, you know, a lot of marriage proposals happen around this time a year around Valentine's Day. But how many of those couples do you suppose have talked about their financial goals and whether they have anything in common, financially speaking? Yeah, well, there's definitely some studies out there on this stuff. I mean, they're not necessarily professional academic studies, but it seems that even amongst the younger generations, around half of people, half of couples may not have had a serious conversation about money before they get engaged or married. And uh, it's definitely an important conversation to have because you want to lay that foundation, right? You don't want to become a statistic in the first place, right? You don't want to set yourself up for arguments, tension, anxiety, and potential divorce or breakup. But you also want to take that chance to, as you were saying, Bobby, like get on the same page and really find out more about yourselves and each other. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think, again, I mean, there could be so much heartache that would be avoided just because I know for me, that was just something I didn't really think about as even being something that I needed to address with the person I, you know, loved. I mean, when Scott and I got married, I knew I loved him. I knew I wanted to be with him. But to have a money conversation just never even entered my head. And thankfully, it hasn't been an issue in our relationship. But, you know, it is for a lot of people. And I would have been completely willing to have that conversation. It just never occurred to me that that could be an important part of it. So I think that's something for younger people really to consider before they make that commitment. Yeah. And, you know, I follow a lot of relationship coaches and therapists type people on social media, and they have wonderful advice. And if you think about this idea of like, you know, communicate openly, share your fears, share your hopes, talk about vulnerable things with your partner as being some of the ways to cultivate more intimacy. Well, in a sense, the more uncomfortable you are talking about money, the more vulnerable it would be for you to talk (laughs) with your partner about it. Right. Sure. And it's such a great space. And I mean, I've even seen this in my relationships, like having some of those conversations have brought me closer to the person that I've been seeing. Um, because there's so much there, our relationship to money is not only influenced by how much is in our bank account or how much we're earning. It's influenced by how our families and parents viewed money, how our personal identities intersect with money. Like for me as a Jewish person, this cultural stereotypes about Jews being good with money and cheap and all of that, like those things all one way or the other kind of play into this amalgam of ideas we have about finances that show up in our choices we're making every day. And what a beautiful thing when you can open up to your partner about that personally and with my clients, I've seen it in both ends. Absolutely. So that would make, I mean, in my eyes, I think that financial counseling would be an amazing engagement gift. How much would it benefit couples going into marriage if they had financial counseling before they say I do? You know, it's really both valuable and invaluable. And the terms of like getting on the same page, I've had clients, one couple paid off $26,000 of debt while they were working with me. Wow. They were getting two to $300 in bank fees every month. And within a couple of weeks of starting our work together, they never got a single other bank fee because they had all of a sudden gotten things in order. And so, you know, they weren't a particularly high income earning couple. They had a decent income in an expensive area with three kids. And so, so much is possible on the financial end of things. 
And I've even had clients, uh, one couple where both the husband and the wife got raises through working with me because I was able to identify that they seemed underpaid and they were like, Oh my God, we've been avoiding talking about that. Well, we kind of felt that too. And nice. through exploring their own money mindset, we're able to go and between the two of them, they got a bump in their household income of over 20%. And so like so much is possible there concretely, right. And figuring out a plan that works and making real progress towards that. And then just on the invaluable side, on the kind of difficult to measure side, think about that, that you could be planning your wedding in harmony because weddings are often the most expensive days of our lives, that you could be on the same page, that you can understand where each other's coming from, that you could be a united front when talking to your parents, for example, if they're helping to pay or plan the wedding. And then as you start building that life together post-marriage, you know that much more about each other. There's so many more unknowns that you've actually had the courage to start discussing so that you feel so much more secure. And that's really so much of what we're looking for in a life partner in a marriage. Yep. And so that just goes to show that financial counseling isn't just for mediating fights about money, you know, because sometimes we think about counselors as, you know, when you're having a lot of money fights and things like that, that's when you need to go see a financial counselor. And that's true. But there are so many other things like wedding planning, like getting on the same page, you know, before you start your lives together. What are some of the other major life events where a financial counselor can provide a lot of value? Yeah, it's a great question. And to be honest, anytime you and your partner are not feeling 100% on the same page about money, this is a great time to work with someone like me because we can help you to get on the same page and settle that. And again, you'll so you'll feel so much more grounded, more peace. You'll feel more intimately connected to your partner. There'll be a deeper sense of teamwork and partnership, which is so essential to our sense of who we are in a long-term relationship or in a marriage. So that's for anybody, even folks, like you said, who aren't necessarily fighting. A lot of my clients have great relationships. Just money is a tough, mystifying topic for them. But beyond that, yeah, certainly events like getting engaged, getting married, buying a first home, considering whether to have a kid or another child, right? Because these have really important financial implications And then later on in life, as you start thinking about planning for college for your kids or paying for a kid's wedding or retirement or empty nesting, you know, really all of the big life transitions are going to have significant financial implications for you, your significant other and your family. So they're all really great times to to work with someone who can both help you with your finances while also helping you get on the same page and communicate in a healthy way. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about having a child, because when people decide that they're going to have their first child, or maybe they, you know, were going to hold off, but it kind of happened sooner than they thought it was going to. How do you help them plan for something like that? Yeah, well, all my work starts, it's almost relationship coaching in the beginning, right? Just around money. It's about understanding your own values when it comes to money and how you feel about money and the same with your significant other. And so what this allows you to do is to be able to search for compromises and to understand where each other's coming from. Because for example, especially if you have an unexpected child, you may also have one or both partners taking some time out from work. Your expenses may go up. You might need to move to a different apartment. And depending on your situation, that may be fine or that might entail certain cuts. And what I find is that couples without establishing a foundation of trust and communication 
they go straight to, well, I think you should cut the massages or you should probably (laughs) stop doing those golf games. And, you know, it's not that you won't ultimately choose to make those changes, but when you go piecemeal like that, it can just trigger a lot of like resentment and defensiveness. And so if you can first pause and do the work to get on the same page emotionally and from a relational standpoint, then you can look at the big picture. You can find the areas of overlap in your goals, make sure you understand any values that are not identical. And then you can kind of work backwards and build out a financial plan, which is what I do with my clients to say, okay, these are the goals that matter to you collectively and individually. Now, how can we match those, right? And maybe you can't do all of them right away. Maybe we have to kind of rank and prioritize some. And then how are we going to do that? So like when you have a new child, right, your priority number one is your child, right? So how do we make sure we accommodate that? Once we have this base of communication and we're aware of what's going on financially, then you can start to look at certain questions like elementary school costs this much. And if we do that, then we'll have to cut these things or bring in more money. Or if we don't do the private school, then we would be able to do this. And then we can start making decisions. But if you're not on the same page, those decisions are likely to cause fighting, resentment, tension. If you are on the same page, then you actually have a teammate and taking the money that you do have and do earn and making it work for you. I would imagine that you work a lot with showing people their budgets and how different things, because having that budget in front of you when you're having that conversation, for me, that makes it so much easier to say, okay, here are the areas we're looking at. We know exactly what we're spending in these areas. Now let's choose what to cut. And I mean, if you're having trouble compromising, maybe we cut a little out of mine and a little out of yours, but there's kind of a clear picture of exactly what you have to work with and where those compromises are coming from. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of funny because I think a lot of people are intimidated by the numbers. And certainly certain things I could say about that. I mean, for the most part a budget, especially if you're looking back at past expenses, it's money you already spent, right? right? So part of what I do is shepherd you through the anxiety of confronting that or the shame you might be worried you'll feel because it's just, like I said, it's money that's already spent. And once we get acquainted to it, like you said, then we can make good decisions. And for me, a lot of my clients push, they want to look at the numbers sooner than I usually advise them to. <laughs> and depending on the situation, I will, of course, work with them on that. And it's important to, you know, the very first thing I do is like, we're going to get a sense of your income and your expenses, your assets and your debts, because you're right, that grounds all the conversations we're having. But again, it's like, let's make sure that we can have a good conversation about this first. Let's understand our individual and collective priorities first. And then once we do, we can look at the budget. And, you know, something I do personally is I look at my priorities and I also look at the cost of them. So, you know, if something's my number one priority, but it's going to cost me a thousand bucks a month and my number two priority is going to cost me $50 a month, (laughs) I might start with the number two because at least I can have one of the things that I want. And maybe in this case, like priorities isn't the best word, but kind of like a preference or something you'd like to have or a kind of thing you'd like to also buy. And so with that kind of work done ahead of time, what do you value? What do you really want that you don't have? What do you want to make sure you keep that you do have? Then once you put the numbers up next to it, it's not that it takes the emotion out of it. Rather, we're accounting for the emotion in a healthy way. And then we're able to apply it to the numbers. And then it just becomes a little bit like a puzzle and making everything fit. 
I love the puzzle analogy, (laughs) one that I'm very fond of. I've seen you talk about money dates, and certainly Valentine's Day may not be the right time for a money date, (laughs) (laughs) but they are very important. So tell us what a money date is and how couples can benefit from them. Yeah, well, a money date is essentially a time that you set aside like a regular date, but just to talk about and work on money related stuff. And I definitely have become a big proponent of these, as are most of the other folks who work in this space. There's a friend of mine, Grace Pomeroy, who works in this area as well. And she has, I think it's called Money Date Night Club, which is a really cool program for people to join and they get little questions and prompts. And, uh, you know, the idea is to have a regular set time to sit down and reflect on these things. Because as we said, money is touching every aspect of our life all the time. And it can also quickly and easily get out of hand. And unfortunately, once it does, it becomes tempting to just continue avoiding the topic, right? Once we haven't talked about it in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, and maybe in that time I overspent at Target or went to the clothing store and overspent or whatever the case may be. And now I'm just a little embarrassed. So let's just avoid it a little longer. And all it takes is one person pulling away for that conversation not to happen when you're in a couple. So next thing you know, you can look back and it's like six months and you haven't talked about your finances, right? And this can become a big issue. So I recommend having something set on the calendar, you know, whether you are part of what Grace does or you set those up on your own. Certainly when I work with clients, I will encourage them to have regular talks depending on their specific needs of the situation. But I always will set my clients up to have some sort of plan going forward once they finish working with me. Like, okay, you know, in the beginning, you might need to talk a little more often till things get set. But for a lot of couples, by the time they're done working with someone like me, then they can just have a half an hour once a week. And oftentimes, just a quick check-in. Everything looks good? Good? Okay, let's move on. Right. Right? And then maybe once in a while, you might sit down and have more of an overall check-in. How are we feeling about our progress? Any new goals? Anything that's less important than it once was? Anything that's more important than it once was? Right? Because humans evolve and our relationships evolve and our plans and hopes and dreams evolve. So it's definitely good to always be checking in on those. Exactly. I think that's so important because like you said, you know, somebody might be experiencing shame from something that kind of went against, you know, whatever they decided to do and may not want to talk about it. But also, you know, when you're trying to achieve goals together, like if you're trying to pay off debt and you've got a plan and a budget going for it, there are times when you're going to be weak. And the great thing I've found about being in a relationship is that at least for Scott and I, a lot of times we're lucky enough that when I'm feeling weak, he's feeling strong and vice versa. So we can really keep each other on track. And that's an important thing. And then like you were mentioning, you know, dreaming together. I mean, this can actually be fun. These money dates don't have to be something that you dread because you have to talk about money again. This is the time to dream together and work together to achieve your goals, right? Absolutely. I, I love everything you said there about picking each other up when one of you's down, the other one is up or can support them or lean on them depending on who's who. And then that also, it is a space to dream together. I 100% agree with that. And I really recommend that, you know, these money dates are not about misery and number crunching necessarily, right? In fact, if you have one partner who likes crunching the numbers and the other one doesn't, that's fine. Play to your strengths. It's all great, right? The idea is to have you feel at ease and have your money work for you in the ways that matter. And 
not only when I'm down, my partner can pick me up, but it's also that if I did something, if I overspent, because we have these money dates, there's a space kind of carved out for me to come clean. So I don't have to hold on to it and feel guilty and anxious and all of that. And like you said, you know, it's inevitably going to happen. Everyone's going to make budgetary mistakes. I've made them. Everyone's made them. And so if you can support your partner in just being understanding when they make a mistake here or there, or something goes wrong or something goes overspent or not according to plan, then that's just going to keep your relationship stronger because there's that much less between you now that you're able to talk about that. And if someone has to apologize or forgive, then that's great. And then you can just continue moving forward with your life, both financially and otherwise. You did a Valentine's Day event last year where you covered the key false beliefs people have that stop them from ever being successful in their talks about money. Tell us what some of those key false beliefs are. Yeah, thanks for asking that question because it is true. A lot of people are like, for a moment, they're like, that sounds great. Like, no, 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 wait. And there's a few typical things that they come up with. One is that, well, it's nice. It might have worked for you, but it's not going to work for me. And that's just simply not true. I've worked with couples of all different types, all different backgrounds, all different genders, straight couples, gay couples, different races, different education levels, different income levels. Because the work I do is not just about finances, it's also about connecting as a couple. And so, you know, with the right tools and support and some patience and some humility, um, and compassion, this absolutely can work for anybody. And just another one is I can't really change or my partner is not going to really change, right? Like they're this kind of way and that's just how it's going to be. But what I like to talk about is that, well, you know, we weren't born with a particular mindset about money. Right. It's mostly, if not entirely learned from the people around us, from society, from our experiences, and then how we internalize and interpret them. And so if we created our money mindset, then we also have a whole lot of power to shift it. And that may or may not happen overnight. But if you start that process, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. And you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I've been doing that to myself or like thinking this all that time. And even in the early goings, like I said, just some of that low-hanging fruit can make such a massive difference once you become aware of it, because then you can do something about it. So people kind of put up these walls like it's not going to work for me or I can't change or my partner can't change. But really talking about this, contrary to your beliefs, instead of not working or making things harder, because that's another false belief is like, well, we're just going to fight about it. Well, the truth is, if you don't work on it, unfortunately, the resentment is going to build and that's going to be the intimacy killer. And that's why this leads to so many fights and so much divorce. But if you can talk about this and really every couple can get on the same page, there's a really great opportunity for you to get closer. And boy, when my clients get on the same page, it's incredible what happens. They start dreaming in a different way. Oh, you know, I guess we don't always have to live here. Maybe we could move to the beach, right? Or, oh, right, that house that I've been complaining about that we can't improve, our dream home because we didn't have enough money. All of a sudden, I remembered there's a whole bunch of projects that don't actually cost very much, if anything at all. And now that I'm freed of that burden of that we are fighting about money all the time, now we can go off and actually work on some of these projects, right? And those are real things I've seen with my clients happen. So when is the right time in a relationship? Because obviously, it's probably not something you want to cover on your first date. But when is the right time to start talking money with your partner? Great question. And I get this one a lot. And to me, as soon as your finances are 
starting to affect each other's or your choices are starting to affect each other's, that's when I think at least starting the conversation is good. And so what I mean is, you know, a lot of people will think, well, okay, so when we get married, you mean, or once we're living together, have joint accounts and definitely then, but I encourage you to look sooner because uh, let's say you're planning a road trip with your significant other and, you know, maybe they want to stay at the Marriott's along the way. And maybe you're like, I don't care. I want to stay at the Howard Johnson's. Well, the difference between that could be a hundred bucks a night. Right. And if it's a week road trip, that's $700. Even your half is 350 bucks. Well, that's not insignificant amount of money, right? So you, at this point, just to illustrate that as you're taking these trips together, the choices you're making are affecting both of you, right? And sometimes even before, if you're the type who like to go out to fancy events or nice restaurants, you know, and also depending on your financial status, right? For some people, even going out to a $60 dinner once a month, but you alternate who pays for that, right? That might be a big expense for you. So anytime that it's starting to impacting it that way, I would recommend at least starting off, even if it's gently, even if just like, hey, I'm hoping to spend about this much a month on going out. So what do you think? Like, how are you feeling about it? Right? You don't even have to have a solution ready. You could just open the conversation. And as things go on, then more and more. And that brings up uh, another question for me, because, you know, today debt is such a normal part of life and everybody just kind of thinks, eh, you know, we're just always going to be in debt and that's part of reality. So how do you talk to your significant other about living within your means and how important that is for your future? Absolutely. You know, I think it's a lot of the similar things we've been talking about. It's about sitting down and having a healthy conversation and doing it from the right perspective, the right frame of mind, which is not like, Hey, you need to stop going out to eat so much. Right. You know, even though probably some of us have done that, we can also recognize hearing it right. It doesn't work. (laughs) And it's more like, Hey, you know what? I really love you. And I'm so excited for the life we're building. And there's some really important goals that I have. And I want to hear about yours. And once the conversation is starting from that place, And then you're talking about how money relates to those goals. Well, now you can say, yeah, well, you know, right now we're both in school, so our income is a little lower. You know, maybe it's 40,000 a year right now. So I think it's really important that we try and stay within our means for that. And here's what I'm nervous about because we've been going on a lot of vacations and staying at fancy hotels. Maybe we could look at that and see about staying at different hotels or something like that, right? Whatever your version of that is in your life and your relationship. But once it's couched in the whole living within our means, so to speak, is going to enable us to have the life we want, have the relationship we want, fulfill on our most important goals and values, then it takes on a whole different tenor, right? Versus just feeling like nagging or yelling at someone or scolding them or patronizing them, right? There's actually a way that this can be an item of teamwork where you're both working together on it. Okay, so now the really important question. Last week, I saw your post on Facebook with your personal finance parody. And so I went to YouTube and I listened to one and then I discovered that you have a couple more and they just cracked me up. The first one that I saw was uh, Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer. And then you also have Total Eclipse of the Heart and uh, I Want to Dance with Somebody, which I've... (laughs) They're all done with you singing and playing the piano, and they just totally cracked me up. So what, first of all, got you started doing these financial parodies, and uh, when's your next one coming out? 
Yeah, no, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And my YouTube channel is just my name, Adam H is my middle initial and then Cole KOL. You can find me on there or on Instagram or LinkedIn. I post these Instagram is at AHK coaching and uh, I'll post all these videos on there on IGTV and the like. But yeah, I've been playing piano all my life uh, since I'm four years old. And last year I took some singing lessons. So I got a little bit more confident in my singing and you know, maybe six months ago, I was just thinking, what can I do that would appeal to my audiences? And I'm an 80s kid. I mean, I was, well, I guess really I'm a 90s kid. I was born in 1987. And, you know, I thought it'd be really fun to have some like 80s, 90s, 2000s songs. And I love crafting clever lyrics and doing rewrites. And so I actually think that Living on a Prayer was the first one that I started writing. And the song is actually already about a couple who's struggling financially and it sounds like in their relationship as well. So I did some rewriting of some lyrics. And uh, the very first one I released was, as you said, Whitney Houston. Uh, instead of I want to dance with somebody, it became I want to plan with somebody. <laughs> and uh, my personal favorite lyric is, I need a man who'll take a chance on a portfolio that's built to last. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, you know, have fun with them. And then there's Total Eclipse of the Debt, like you said, the Bonnie Tyler song from Total Eclipse of the Heart. And, uh, you know, I'm putting them out once a month. Oh, and there's cool. definitely a handful more still in the works. Nice. So keep an eye out for those. And the next one is a cover of the song Sunday Morning by uh, Maroon 5. Oh. <laughs> and, um, so this one is about uh, wages and the gender wage gap is coming up. and. Uh, Instead of Sunday morning, it's called first and 15th, as in like when we get our paychecks, right. at least some jobs. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it'll be fun. And that's a good song. And, uh, you know, a lot of these were also songs I played. I was in a cover band in California before I moved back to Florida. And we were playing a lot of like 80s, 90s, 2000s hits. Awesome. And so it, it has been a great catalog that I've been pulling from to write these songs. And, you know, I just when you leave the practice of law and that like kind of white collar cushy office job situation that I was very fortunate to be in before to start a business. You know, I really wanted to start a business and do it my way, give back to causes I care about, be thoughtful and make sure that I'm acknowledging the different struggles different kinds of people are facing and helping people strengthen their relationships and be a contribution through the work that I'm doing. And I also wanted to make sure I had fun with it. So I'm passionate about helping people with their relationships and their finances, but I also love music and playing and singing and writing creative lyrics. And so I was very excited to find a way to not only be able to do something I enjoy, but also do it in a way that increases the visibility of my business and gives people a kind of stronger sense of my personality and who I am. So thank you for that question. It's the first time I've gotten to talk about that on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a definite fun thing. And I saw him and I'm a huge 80s fan. So I was born a little earlier, 74. But yeah, I, I love those songs. And now, you know, I've become such a budgeting and finance geek that it was just perfect for me. It cracked me up and yeah, it made me have to get you on to talk about that and all, all the other things that you're doing with couples. So I'm so glad you joined <laughs> me for this. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, so I just want to make sure that people can get a hold of you if they, you know, want to uh, start some counseling sessions or just ask you more questions or get more information about you. How can they contact you? Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast again, Bobby. I really appreciate it. And my website is AHK Coaching. So A is an aardvark, H is an hippopotamus, K 
kazenkangarooCoaching.com. As I mentioned before, you can find me on Instagram at ahkcoaching or on YouTube or LinkedIn. It's Adam H is in hippopotamus, Cole K O L. And you can find me on there. And through my website, you can uh, check out my mailing list, or I've got some free giveaways, like a guide to getting the money conversation started with your guy in three steps. There's also links on there if you want to contact me directly and set up a free consultation. And we can see if I might be the right fit to help you and your significant other continue to strengthen your relationship and your finances. Awesome. Well, I cannot repeat all of those <laughs> all of those contacts, but ahkcoaching.com is your website. And we're Indeed. going to put links to everything that you just mentioned in the show notes for this episode. And I'm going to include links for the parodies because I just love them. And I think you guys should Aww. all check them out. <laughs> so <laughs> look thank for you that so on. much. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate all your time. And I hope everybody has a happy Valentine's Day. A big sensible thank you to our guest professor, Adam Cole, couples financial counselor and host of the Equal Partners podcast. You can visit his website at ahkcoaching.com. Great tips from Adam. You never think about how important it is to talk about money with your partner until you stop and realize that money is a big part of our everyday lives and planning for our future. So it's pretty important. And if Valentine's Day is important in your relationship, Let's talk about how money will play into it this year and beyond. With less than two weeks to go, there's not a lot of time to save for this year, but there are still things you can do. For example, if you typically buy lunch, coffee, or other extras on a regular basis, cut it out for the next 11 days. You might be surprised how much it saves you. If you go out a lot on weekends, stay home and read or watch some free movies, have some friends over to play board games, anything you can do to save a little dough. If you take the toll roads to work, spend the extra time on the freeway and pocket that money. I've seen tolls as much as $20 to drive a certain stretch of road one way. That's insane. At that rate, you could save $200 in one week if you used it both ways every day. Get creative about saving. It's never too late. While you're crash saving for this Valentine's Day, think about how much you could save for next year if you start planning right now. This could even be a great thing to do on Valentine's Day. Have a nice, quiet, romantic dinner at home and start dreaming about your perfect Valentine's Day. Where would you go? What would you do? Write down all the crazy ideas you come up with. Go grand. Dream big. Then, when Valentine's Day is over, revisit your ideas and start getting more serious about one you'd really like to make happen. What would it cost? Could you save enough money to make it happen in the next year? If not, are there some areas you could cut so that you could make it happen next year? Maybe a cheaper hotel or one less excursion? Or are there ways you could save more money than you thought, like cutting out extra expenses for the next year or taking on a side hustle to make some extra cash? Or would you rather have Valentine's Year, where you can celebrate your love with special outings all year long? This means you'll have lots of things to look forward to, and it won't take as long to save, rather than sacrificing all year long for a few days of bliss. There are no right or wrong answers here. It all depends on what's important to you. But keep that in mind when you're planning, because while number crunching and thinking of ways to cut expenses may not be your favorite thing, it's well worth it if it leads to you getting more of what you really want. I think what stops a lot of people from following through on planning is the lack of hope. 
If you believe you can't afford something and think your situation today will never change, you have no hope. Why would you exert the effort to plan for something you believe can never happen? But it can happen. There's always a way. If you can't find it yourself, reach out and ask for help in finding the path. As Paula Pant says, you can afford anything, just not everything. See the difference? Start focusing on what you really want, spending your time, energy, and money there instead of your money mindlessly wandering off to other places you really don't care about. Now, while we're still on the subject of Valentine's Day, I want to share some ways to show your love by buying gifts for yourself. As I've mentioned in the past, I grew up poor. Money was a constant source of stress and fear. There was never any planning only putting out fires when chaos took over, which happened a lot. Nobody wanted to talk about it because there was no hope that things could change, so that only left despair. Why would you want to focus on despair? But I've since learned that all that stress and fear can be greatly reduced by planning, which keeps chaos away, hence no fires to put out. I've also learned that my planning doesn't just help me, it helps everyone I love. Since Scott and I started budgeting, got out of debt, and started building our financial foundation, our families don't worry about us like they used to. I can remember borrowing money for groceries or a parent giving us money to go have a night out because we were always so strapped and never able to do much. It's like watching people on a ledge. With every step they take, you're holding your breath, hoping they don't fall. And wanting to reach out a hand every time they stumble but knowing you won't always be able to catch them. It's stressful for everyone. So by learning to manage our money and becoming debt-free, we showed love to our family. We don't have kids, so planning for our retirement is really important because we don't have anyone to move in with in our old age. But even if we did, it would still be really important because we don't want to be a burden to anyone. We do have family that would help us if we needed it, But if we plan now, save for our future, and get all of our ducks in a row, nobody will have to stress out about taking care of us while trying to have a life and plan for their own old age. We can show our family love by saving and planning for retirement. Here's one that some of you might find a bit controversial. Love your kids by not co-signing their student loans or borrowing from your retirement to pay for their college. There are a ton of ways kids can go to college debt-free, and if you take on those loans or pillage from your retirement now, you are running a risk of not being prepared for retirement, which there are no loans for, and you may have to depend on your kids to take care of you. Personally, I'd rather have the peace of mind knowing that my parents are taken care of in their old age rather than having them pay for my college degree when I'm young and have plenty of time and resources to do that myself. Here's another controversial one. Love your kids by not financially enabling them. If you're helping your adult child who fell on truly hard times, kudos to you. But if that transitions into you paying their way while they revert back to a teenager, you're making a big mistake. You may think you're showing love, but you could be crippling them. The more you do it for them when they're capable of doing it themselves, even if they don't want to, the more they become dependent on you. 
This means you're redirecting your financial resources to take care of them, which means you may not have enough resources at some point to care for yourself. And if they've become dependent on you, now you're both in trouble. But even if you have the resources to cover them and still care for yourself, what happens after you're gone? Do you have enough resources to cover them for the rest of their lives? If not, you've done them a huge disservice because now they're lost in financial chaos the moment you pass away. So love your children enough to set boundaries and teach them financial literacy. This will help them get on their feet when they're young and stay on their feet when they're older. Life insurance is another way to show love with money. If you and your partner are working on financial goals together, combining money to live your lives and raise children, what happens if you pass away? Would they be able to make ends meet or would things fall apart financially? Life insurance provides peace of mind that the people you love would be taken care of at least long enough to bounce back from the loss. The ways you can show love with money are endless. And the gifts we've talked about here are priceless. Here's hoping your Valentine's Day is full of love, hope, and dreams for the future. Right now, I'm dreaming of tax savings. Yep, tax time is right around the corner. Are you ready? Last year, I chatted with CPA Michelle Kagan and asked her a ton of tax questions. She is such a treasure trove of money-saving info. This year, it's your turn. We have a special live event coming up. Sensible Chat presents a free tax chat with certified public accountant, Michelle Kagan. This is your chance to ask tax questions in person and get answers directly from the expert. We're going to do this on Saturday, February 22nd at 11 a.m. Pacific time. And it's an online event, so no matter where you are, you can be part of it. Go to SensibleChat.com right now and register. Space is limited, so do it soon. Again, you can register at SensibleChat.com. That's Sensible with a C. It's a free online event, only half an hour out of your Saturday, and you could save a ton of money on taxes. If you want to send questions ahead of time instead of asking them during the live event, send them to Bobby, B-O-B-B-I, at SensibleChat.com. That's Sensible with a C. But make sure to register because we've only got half an hour and questions from those at the event are going to get first priority. Michelle is also giving away a copy of her latest book, Debt 101, to the first three people who register for the event. So do it right now. You're going to love this book. From interest rates and credit scores to student loans and debt payoff strategies, Debt 101 is an essential primer on managing debt. I'm going to chat with her in March about both of her new books, Retirement 101 and Debt 101, so make sure to come back for that. In the meantime, make sure to register for the free tax chat at sensiblechat.com. And while you're there, subscribe to my blog so you can keep up with everything that's going on between episodes. Thanks for listening, and we'll chat again in two weeks. Until then, keep spending and saving the sensible way. That does it for this episode of Sensible Chat with your host, Sensible Bobby. Links for all the resources mentioned can be found in the show notes for this episode at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. While you're there, find your favorite app to be sure and never miss a show. On social media, look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you need help with your budget or want to share your thoughts, reach out to Sensible Bobby through the contact page at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. Thank you.